there were a certain amount of folks who sent thank you notes back and certain ones that didn't. Yeah. And it did impact the hiring manager's philosophy of that candidate. If they were borderline on a candidate, the ones that sent a thank you note actually, I think, pr progressed through the process and were hired. Last week, we talked a lot about resumes, but there's so much more that goes into your job search process. Hi, I'm Diana Brunello O'Leary, and welcome to another episode of Job Talk Weekly. This is part two of our interview with recruiter Steve Prosapio. Last time, we talked with him a lot about resumes. Today, we'll tackle the other parts of your search process, whether that be cover letters, how to follow up, and the occasional time when you might not even need a resume. Let's jump in. Well, you know, it's, it's fun that, Steve, that you and I can talk about how recruiting has changed over the years, because I wanted to ask you about the cover letter, which now I suppose is oh, the good. cover. Yeah, it's the cover email because we mm -hmm. really don't mail it in anymore. So how should someone approach their cover email to make sure that they're grabbing the HR manager's attention, but they're not going on so, so long? Sure, sure. That's a great question. And um, I think it's in a maybe even in a state of flux today. I was thinking about this in preparation for our talk. And I would say when I, uh, in my career, I kind of left recruiting for a little bit, went back as an internal recruiter. And as an internal recruiter during those first few years, uh, and this was, you know, six, seven years ago, I barely ever would read a cover letter, right? Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't come and you don't open up the envelope like you used to. And then yeah. there's the letter and then there's the resume. Now it's a separate part, right? So if I'm looking at resumes and it's, you know, oh, this person doesn't have the experience, this person doesn't really have the experience, this person doesn't really have the experience. I'm not looking to see if those folks have cover letters or even what they say. Uh -huh. But what, I, what I've been thinking of, and especially, um, well, as you know, and I haven't told your audience, I recently went through a fairly long job search myself just mm -hmm. uh, recently. And what I noticed was I did get several uh, comments or, um, or conversations about things that I had specifically in my cover letter from the recruiter who originally talked to me. So my sense is that this is being looked at more and more by recruiters. Yeah. Uh, and I think one of the reasons is, is that um, we have now uh, in a lot of organizations, um, a, the generation of millennials and millennials love information. They can't get enough information. And so I think they're they're looking at these cover letters closer than they used to. So I would definitely encourage people to write a cover letter. Uh, I would definitely encourage them to put um, specific information in that cover letter about themselves as it relates to the organization or vice versa as the, the organization they're looking to work for, you know, relates to them personally, perhaps. So I would put things like that in there. Um, and the don't, <laughs> the don't, yeah. do, uh, don't make it too cutesy, right? Oh. Um, cutesy doesn't come across well on Thank paper. You. From the recruiter side, we've, you know, we've seen this, you know, people saying, oh, I'll, you know, I'll take you out to dinner if you get me an interview or, you know, you have to hire me because, and then they say something silly or funny or, you know, I can sell, you know, ice cubes in Alaska, you know, to people that don't need them or something. Yeah. Like um, I, I used to see, look no further. Your search is over, you know. Your search, yes, your search is over. Yeah. I had someone who put on the top of her resume once, Wonderkind, and I didn't even know what that meant. Um, so I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think, especially in sales, and I know you recruit in that field too, people really want to present themselves as mm -hmm. clever. And, you mm -hmm. know, when it comes to recruiting, though, safer can be a better way to go. 
because right. you don't know the other person who is reading your resume, who's reading your cover letter, and they may <laughs> not be in the mood for cutesy that day. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. Well, another thing that has come up in the change over the years is the follow-up phone call. And who knows, right. maybe now even because of this whole new work-from-home environment with the pandemic, the follow-up phone call, is it dead entirely? I don't think so. Um, I think what we've kind of moved to more is the follow-up email. Yeah. Um, should you be, have that person's uh, information, ideally, you know, the, the kind of the old pick up the business card on the, on the way out or try to get the business cards while you're there. Mm -hmm. um, probably a don't, though, would be to contact the person that you know at the company and ask for the uh, person's contact information. That kind of comes across to recruiters as a little bit creepy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so... The proper thing there would be to just write a very nice uh, thank you email um, and uh, and then send it to the person that you know and ask them to forward it to the person internally. Um, that's you know more socially acceptable. As far as follow-up phone calls, um, I think that's kind of a do and a don't connected as well. I would say if you're in a position where you know where it's appropriate to follow up with the recruiter uh, or the manager that you've talked to. Sure. You can you can do a thank you phone call. Um, you're probably going to get a voicemail. Yeah. So ha be prepared for that. Yeah, that's, that's true. Practice out. Practice out what you're going to say, because some yep. people, they exactly. think they're going to get a human and then they get the voicemail and then you can tell that they're stuck. Yep. And then they ramble for three minutes and say yeah. things and, and that they shouldn't be saying. And <laughs> don't make jokes. Don't don't be self-deprecating. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, I hope you remember me still. Uh, you know, no dude, stuff like that. Yeah. Just very nice, direct, you know, professional. And then that's it. Right. Um, you know, I know I know you know hockey terms, but for your listener, there's a there's a shot, you know, they call a one timer. Right. Where mm -hmm. they take a you know nice hard shot from the outside. Boom. One time you get one time for that. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's what this is. So you don't want to. Don't do what you don't do connected to the follow-up calls is check in, check on progress, wanting to see updates. Have you heard anything? Uh, I'm still waiting. I need to make a decision on another job. We hear these, you oh, know, yeah. constantly. And so, you know, kind of that every two or three days email or call from a candidate, you know, as a recruiter, your job is to get people hired for your company, right? Yeah. So, if you're the person they're, that they want to hire, you're going to hear from that recruiter. That recruiter, you know, that recruiter's job depends on hiring you into that company. If you're not the person for that role, then you kind of become more of a pest and less likely even to get that job, even if they would follow up with you later down the line. Well, and I think a candidate can do themselves a favor by clarifying the timetable when they talk to someone. Mm -hmm. If you are so fortunate exactly. enough to have either a phone screen or an in-person interview, before you hang up in a very gentle, diplomatic way, just ask, you know, I just wanted to get a sense for your timing around hiring this position. And then Absolutely. you will know if they just opened the job, it's a brand new opening, it's going to take months. Or they might tell you, gosh, we want to get someone in here by the end of the month. Then you can ask mm -hmm. them, if I haven't heard, is it okay to follow up with you in two or three weeks? You know, have that agreement. That way you feel confident when you do call that the HR manager said it was okay to call or that mm -hmm. you have a sense of the timing because then too long we start to create stories in our head 
when the mm-hmm. job search might just be taking a long time because the company is very slow or it's a brand right. new position. So there's not too much to read into. People it. go on vacations. And yeah, it seems on the outside, it's taking forever. It, you know, inside that company, there's a whole lot of other stuff going on other than just hiring, right? Right. Um, so sometimes it's the hiring managers that have to slow things down for a bit. Sometimes recruiting department, you know, may get overwhelmed and, you know, we're trying to you know, get ourselves dug out from that. Um, but yeah, some, some of those times I think, you know, it may not be you that is causing, uh, the, the, the problem. And, and in fact, as a demonstration of that, I interviewed with, um, the company that I'm now working with in late February and, you know, we had this thing called the coronavirus and oh, yeah. you know, I wasn't hired until, you know, June. So, you know, that was a long time period, but, you know, it was because of other reasons. Well, and you can use the interview process as a way to learn about the company and how they treat people. Because mm-hmm. it may take three, four, six months to hire someone, but as long as they are clear and they communicate with you and they haven't left you hanging, if they said they would get back to you by the end of March and then they never followed up with you at all, that says mm-hmm. a lot about how they treat people. Absolutely. Whereas uh, the HR manager that, that comes to mind, you know, she's really good, a friend of mine is really good about staying in touch and keeping to those deadlines. So if she said, I'll get back to you by the end of the month, and here it is, the last day of the month, she'll shoot you an email and say, you know what, we still haven't been able to move forward. So we'll we'll get back to you in another couple of weeks. But at least she is clarifying her communication. And I think that says a lot about the company and the people. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that open direct line communication will will tell you a lot. Um, Or conversely, you know, if, if you just never hear from them, uh, and then two months later, in fact, you know, I did have a company recently in the job search that did that where um, no one even contacted me uh, personally, they asked me to do a video interview, you know, where I just answer questions to the video machine. I didn't hear from them for three months. They called me and that part of that was due to coronavirus as well. But then they called me, set up a panel interview. I did a panel interview for them and then I've never heard from them again. <laughs> so, and, and now <laughs> you I know, work there? but I think that's I right. That says so much about both of us, right? So it says a lot about that company, and you will think twice about applying there ever again. You will think twice about referring friends who might be thinking of applying for them. But the same thing goes for the candidate. You have to exit gracefully. As disappointed as you might be, and as much as the recruiter perhaps said, we'll get back to you at the end of the month, and it took them six weeks or two months, now is not the time to get snarky. Now is the time to just consider this a new relationship that you've built because you never know when you might run into these people again. Absolutely. You don't always need your resume. You know, I, as a recruiter, um, not often, but there were times where I would get one of my uh, folks uh, who I was working with, one of my candidates, an interview with one of my hiring managers without ever even sending a resume. Right. And that is a relationship. So yeah. the relationships are very important, you know, in terms of job search, because you can get connected into places, um, you know, it, throughout or without applying sometimes. Uh, and that can be, you know, key. Well, and I think today that is really helpful, trying to focus on your networking and really focusing in on the companies that inspire you and that energize you when you really are interested in them. Really focus on trying to find a lead there. Try to find Mm -hmm. a friend of a friend of anyone that you know who might know someone who works there. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, those those 
tend to those tend to be even more um, followed up with because just kind of taking that a step further, kind of peek behind the the internal recruiting um, is as you know, Diana, that you know we have relationships when we when we are at our our organization, right? Yeah. So when someone comes in that you know and says, "Hey, I've I've got a former colleague of mine who applied to this job," you know, now you have kind of uh, uh, as a recruiter. You know, you have a little bit more of an investment in that candidate than you do of someone just applying outside. It's just a kind of a natural um, personal connection. Right. Yeah. So you want to make sure that that person is seen and, and treated correctly. So it's a, a really good way to kind of pave your way in. Yeah, I mean, we can't advocate for networking enough, especially right now. So that's why I would always encourage people, even if they don't know someone at the company, they really just go dig into LinkedIn, dig into your alumni network, dig into all the lists of people that you know or that you used to work with. I think what you just said there, too, by the way, about former bosses and former employees, former coworkers, I think we forget how valuable they can be because they know us and they're in a similar field. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, it's sometimes it's not even who you know, it's who who you know that knows other people, right? right. It's two and three times down the line that, that uh, often people are kind of connected through the job. Speak a little bit about the interview process and some do's and don'ts and whether they're success stories or horror stories sure, that you might sure, have sure. for us. One of the craziest ones happened to me very early on in my recruiting career, and, uh, and we had a candidate come in um, to interview, and we didn't meet in person with too many candidates, but it was just a special situation. So he came in again, this is kind of where you, you get recruiters get a little bit nervous with cutesy behavior. He said that if we got him a job or if we got him an interview with this company that we were working with, he would name his kid after me. Oh God. <laughs> now the, follow -up story, the, the worst follow-up story to this is that uh, he was interviewing you know, on a, on a Tuesday at one o'clock on Tuesday at noon, I got a call from him saying that he was he had he was there, but he couldn't interview that the lights. He went into the lobby and the lights were just sucking the energy out of his skull and that he just couldn't do it. And he was oh I mean, he just kind of like had a meltdown and just didn't show up on the interview. And I, and I was kind of glad he didn't show up on the interview in that state. But still, it kind of goes to show you. Uh, yeah, don't um, don't don't be like that. please. Oh, wow. OK, so get the lights figured out and don't right. offer so your was, firstborn. That's a little much. That was a good one. Yes. A couple of years ago, I went on a to a job fair and interviewed a number of student athletes, uh, really great, you know, great people who um, who were athletes and graduating and and the subject of money came up and i said well what would you be expecting you know uh to get in obviously what would be an entry-level role and they were coming up with figures that were way higher than what what they should have been <laughs> and and so i would ask them and i would say well how did you how did you come up with that and they said well i figure that's you know i, I need to get my own place and it's going to cost me this to do this and i've got this car payment and i've got this and i've got that <laughs> and I just kind of thought, like, no. that's not how really it works. Give us the better better answer for what people yeah, should I mean, say when they talk about the type of pay they're looking for. Again, it's an art, you know, not a science necessarily. So um, I don't think any tactic is going to work all the time. But I, but I also think you need to be direct with organizations um, with that. A lot of times people kind of try to do the negotiable, negotiable, oh, I'm negotiable. They don't want to say the first number because that's what they heard yeah. in negotiating class 101. Right. And from the company's perspective, it's either annoying or frustrating, or yeah. it looks like that candidate is just not interested in the role. Yeah. There's websites that you can go to. Um, I think it's jobs.com or pay.com. Glassdoor. Glassdoor, Glassdoor, I think. Does, yeah. Uh, 
yep, that'll show, you know, kind of what the average salaries are there. So you can kind of put that. If you do give them a, a company a range, though, keep in mind, this is something people don't think about sometimes is if you give them a range, make sure that the lower number on that range is really what you would accept. Yes. If you say I can, you know, I'm looking for something between 80 to 90, you have just said that $80,000 is okay. Absolutely. Yep. And people think like, well, if they really like me, they'll give me 90, wouldn't they? And I say, <laughs> well, if I was going to sell you a car and you asked me how much and I said, well, 30 or 40,000, yeah. you're going to write you know, what are you going to write the check for? Yeah. So yeah, that's an important thing to remember and to talk you, about. And generally the rule is you want to, you want the company to bring it up first, right? You, you, you shouldn't be bringing up money. You do. And when you do talk about, when you do get to that place, you want to base it on market data. You want to say that mm-hmm. my research has shown that this job pays around eighty to $90,000. You don't want to mm-hmm. say, well, my rent is so high, or I just leased a <laughs> brand new Lexus, or I'm still right. paying off my college loans. That all may be well and true, but that's not their problem. Mm-hmm. It's a market-driven economy, and you know there's variances in that, in, especially in certain industries, <laughs> as we both know, right? Yeah. Because ours, ours is one that, you know, when there's a really hot market, uh, recruiters are in very high demand, and when there's not, recruiters are in much less demand. Um, and the IT industry has kind of its own ups and downs, independent of uh, of the market uh, place sometimes or the economy. Yeah. Um, and other industries are like that as well. Tell us what you learned. So you mentioned when when before you and I hopped on this phone call, I did learn mm-hmm. that you had started looking for a job last year. Tell us about that mm-hmm. process, and tell us when you sure. quit. Sure, sure. Yeah. So I, um, I resigned my work. I had some special situations in there where I was living uh, 50 miles away from where I work. So it's a 100 mile commute every day. Um, and so I actually uh, left my job in late October, um, kind of when the market was super, super hot for, for what I do. Yeah. Uh, and um, the decision and the reason to do that was basically my wife and I decided we wanted to relocate out of California. Yeah. So I knew that I'd have to have some fly out interviews that would yeah. take time. And I just didn't want to try to do that while juggling a, a very full time job. Um, so my job search, this was uh, a bit humbling, I'll, I'll admit. Yeah. Um, and it also taught me to um, a good point to other readers, and I've heard it from a lot of f- folks is, you know, I'm sending all these applications out. It doesn't feel like people are looking at them. And and I can I can appreciate that sentiment for sure. Yeah, because um, I did a count here today before coming on um, and I documented 92 specific applications wow. um, that I did. And I know that number isn't correct. I know that number is is a multiple of that, probably close to maybe 70 or 80 times. Yeah, either 160 or 170, because a lot of those I was documenting for unemployment. And sometimes I just wouldn't bother to, to do that. Mm. But this is a very specific um, role, right, right? Talent acquisition, yeah. um, kind of at the level of, of place that I'm in in my career. Sure. Um, but 92 applications. And I can tell you, there were some that I'm sure I was, you know, one of the most qualified people to apply. Um, but we just don't know. And I can I can attest to that from both sides of of uh, the recruiting process, the internal or external, that, again, sometimes it could be the, the money was too high. Um, one of the one of the most common is, you know, uh, a lot of times companies will um, post positions and then hire or promote someone internally. Yeah. So, there are times where you're going to just be applying and you won't know to a position that you just won't be considered in. Um, timing is a big thing. Obviously, uh, you know, applying to a, a job role that's going to get 300 applications 
um, within the first week or within the first 50 applications, you have a much greater shot at getting that role than you do the last 50 of that 300, right? So I think that's what we what I learned is that it's a it's a volume game. Yeah. And just, you cannot you know let it get you down, and you cannot take it personally. That is so key. You can't take it personally. And I know that sounds so counterintuitive because you're like, well, it is me. It's my life on a piece of paper and no one is (laughs) responding. But you've got to remember that now we find ourselves in the most extraordinary job market that we've seen in years. So you've got to find ways to keep yourself uplifted, to remind yourself that it's not always about you, that you don't know what's going on at the company. And, you know, try not to make up so many stories. Right. Try not to project onto the scenario like, oh, you know, no one's going to hire me and my resume stinks. I mean, go ahead and get your resume looked at by another friend. I mean, there are Mm -hmm. professional resume writers. If you feel like you've not been on the job hunt for a long time and you need a professional to look at your resume, go ahead and make that investment. So that way you at least feel better. You feel Mm -hmm. more confident that you've done everything that you can. But somehow at some point, you do have to take the personal emotion out of it because it is business. It's work. And for them, they have one, they're just looking for one person. So you've just got to really stay positive. But was there anything then throughout your process as you were looking for a job, then that Mm -hmm. now you're taking away as a professional recruiter? Like, are you going to do things a little differently since you've been in it so recently? There actually are a few things in terms of follow-up, uh, and that's a good point as well, right? Because um, one of the other complaints that I hear out there is, you know, I, I applied to this position. I never heard anything back from them, mm. and, um, and that's true, and that, that happens, um, and that t- tends to be more of a technology issue than really a, a personality or a company philosophy oh, issue. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, yeah, it's or it's how the the ATS is structured and organized. Um, yeah. In my last job, we would have folks who would apply to several positions in our organization at the same time. There were different clinics, yeah. and they would apply to a medical assistant in you know four or five of those clinics. And so we knew that you know, we were going to be interviewing them and we didn't want to send them three rejection letters, yeah. you know, the week that we're offering them a job, you know? So sometimes technology um, creates issues where they're not sending what most companies do now. And I think it's evolved a bit is when you apply, you usually get a, a nice little email back to say, Hey, thank you for applying and taking the time. And if, you know, there is a situation where you're a fit for a role, you know, someone from our human resources or talent acquisition team will reach out to you. And I've, I've kind of come to think of that almost as like a pre-rejection letter. Yeah. Because the preemptive strike. Yeah. They're pre preemptively telling you, thank you. And that you may or may not be a fit for the role. And we may or may not get back to you to tell you an absolute no, but we will get back to you with, with a yes, if you're a fit. Uh, and I think that's kind of technology wise replaced um, that rejection letter. But but I'm very adamant that if if candidates interview um, that we do give them at least a rejection letter. Uh, personally, when I interview someone, um, I'm still kind of the pick up the phone and, and let them know. Good for you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But that can kind of get awkward sometimes, as you know. Uh, yeah. So that's uh, something that is kind of, I think, gone by the wayside to some extent. But that personal touch of getting back to, to folks, um, you know, certainly that is uh, is definitely something that I'm going to um, kind of impart in this role and, and make sure that my team is doing as well. 
Well, leave us with a success story because sometimes we tell people to go ahead and stretch for a job. And if there is a, a story you have where someone applied and they weren't the traditional candidate or perhaps they didn't have the exact experience you were looking for, what has someone done to get on the radar and get hired even though they weren't the exact fit you were looking for? Sure. Sure. That's a, a great question. Um, Actually, and it goes back to um, another point that um, I missed when we were talking about the thank you emails, mm. right, yeah. is um, that, that, you know, kind of things have changed over over the years. And, you know, we shouldn't be, you know, showing up on on the uh, doorstep of companies in person <laughs> after we've applied. Right. No. That kind of comes across as, as not, you know, not Stalker. being what you not being what you want it to mean. Right. Yeah. That mean, you know, you want it to show that you're 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 uh, aggressive and interested and it comes across as kind of, you know, not quite uh, professional. So, but what hasn't really, at least for me, and again, I'm a little bit older, is kind of the thank you note, you mm-hmm. know, where someone will just mail you a little thank you note. And yeah. um, there was, uh, I can't remember what role it was at my last firm where uh, people had applied. There were a certain amount of folks who sent thank you notes back and certain ones that didn't. Yeah. And it did impact the hiring manager's uh, philosophy of that candidate. If they were borderline on a candidate, um, the ones that sent a thank you note actually, I think, pr- progressed through the process and were hired. Wow. Emily Post would be thrilled. Now, <laughs> tell, tell me more about that. Is it a physical handwritten thank you card? Is it a thank you email? What did you see? Yeah. So for that for that particular one, I think what um, what you, usually works best, like I'm not suggesting you go out and spend three dollars for every time you, you know, interview for, for a role and then the postage. Um, I'm think I'm talking about like the small you know, box, yeah. uh, thank you cards, kind yeah. of the little tiny ones. Yeah, just a little thank you note um, that says, hey, I enjoyed meeting you. Thank you for spending the time. You know, I hope to hear from you soon. And then that was it. Less is more, by the way, because yep, there, exactly. that is also a place to screw up if you spell something wrong or, you know, you try to cram too much in there. Just like you said, thank you. Appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Exactly. Okay. So anything else in today's job market that you want to leave our candidates with? People will do what I'm just doing now is fumbling at the end, right, for, for, <laughs> for that last question. So make sure before your interviews to have, um, you know, several questions prepared. Yeah. Not that you're going to ask 10 different uh, questions, but usually during the course of the interview, those the questions that you have going in are going to get answered. And so you want to at least have one, uh, maybe two, uh, and then also beyond the one or two. So you can always use that third, and you really should save that third or second uh, follow-up question or question at the end for, you know, what are the next steps, you know, Ooh, when, that's true. you know, what are the next steps in the process? If, you know, very interested and then use that as a, as an opportunity to let them know you're interested too. Right. Sometimes people, and especially in this job market, um, think like, well, you know, if I'm, if I'm, you know, if I'm, if I show interest in the role, then that's just going to make me look desperate. That's, that's not true. Right. <laughs> you want the company to know that you're interested in the role. Yeah. And I think having those, pre-thought-out questions can be so helpful because even if you have a really good dialogue, you know, that's what the manager is going to remember, that you had a nice back and forth. But towards the end of the interview, they will always ask you, so do you have any other questions for us? And if you've had a really thorough interview where the hiring manager has given you all this information, you can't possibly think of something else. 
throw it back on them and make it a little personal to say, well, how did you end up at this company? What do you like about working here? You know, something that they probably didn't cover in the interview that is thoughtful and it makes it show that, yes, you did have some questions. You're very interested. You want to know what what this place um, is like, what makes them tick. And so you have just a couple of things that you can walk away with. What's kept you here for, you know, you said you've worked here 15 years. What kept you here for 15 years? Yeah. You know, why do you like the organization? Um, yeah, things like that are, are perfect uh, follow-up questions for the, for the end time. Yeah, and you've just got to you've got to stay really positive. You know, you've got to create your network around you of friends who are going through the same thing, and you've really got to you know help boost each other up because it is a process, and it is mm-hmm. going to take a little bit longer in the year 2020. But things mm-hmm. will bounce back, and you know it just takes one. You're just looking for one job, right? So eventually yep. something will click. Yep. The advice my wife gave me is, you know, focus on what you want, not on what you don't want. Right. So as you're going through this struggle and applying to all these positions, you know, keep putting out that mental energy like, hey, this could be the one where I have a really great supportive boss. Yeah. This could be the one that, you know, kind of elevates my career to the next level. Keep putting that out there, you know, to the universe. And if nothing else, it keeps it in your mind. It keeps you in that kind of positive energy and uh and you'll be making better decisions in that positive energy. Oh, but that's one more thing. Don't stop until you have that offer letter signed in hand. Sometimes yes. people get really excited. They've had three interviews, maybe four with a company. They think, oh, this is it. Oh, I know. You know what I'm going to say? It's so painful because then um, either they quit a job or they stop looking. Oh. Don't and, do that. Definitely don't quit a job. <laughs> you can, well, you know, in, in 2019 and 2018, the job market was so strong. It probably happened more often than not that people, uh, we, we had another caller a few weeks ago of someone who quit her job again at the end of 2019 because the market was uh. indeed so good. But if you are looking for a job, don't stop looking until you have that offer in hand, because then if you lose your momentum, you will so regret it. You know, you've got to stay on top of it and you can be you can be really excited. You can still be really excited about that opportunity and you can think positively about it. But you still got to put yourself out there because it also gives you a little bit of leverage. Then when they are making you a salary offer, you know, you can feel like, well, there's still these other jobs out there. You know, you you, then you are Mm -hmm. not desperate. That's that's a mental shift. Right. right? That's how you approach the negotiation. So just wait until you get it in writing. Then you can pop the champagne. Then you can stop <laughs> applying to all these other positions and take a yep. breath. Turn off all the notices on your uh, Indeed. Oh, God. Uh, get those job notices <laughs> popping up every day. Your email <laughs> and your phone. Yeah, exactly. Well, Steve, thank you so much. It's been so great having Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thank you again for having me. This is a great conversation. Yeah, maybe what we'll do is we'll check back with you in a few months. That would be great. Okay. Take care, Steve. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Job Talk Weekly. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'd love it if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. For more information, articles, and to let us know what topics you want to hear, find us online. Our website is jobtalkweekly.com. See you next week.